Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Classic Vinyl Podcast. While I try to get my mic put in the right place here, yeah, we probably should have tried to adjust our microphones first before hitting record, but here we are. Well, we we made some changes here in the basement studio. Yes, we did. Or I should say, I cleaned up the basement studio a little bit. And by we, we mean you. Well, that's why I said I. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how are you doing today, Tyler? Oh, I am so thrilled to be here to review this album. I've got a lot to say about it. So, of course, today we're going to do The Doors' third studio album, Waiting for the Sun. This will be the third Doors album we've done, because we're doing those in order, kind of like we are the Beatles. But The Doors being one of my favorite bands. So I chose to do this Doors album today. Yeah, I can tell that this has been one of your favorites. You've, um, well, I was going to say this later in the episode, and maybe I'll point out when I noticed it, but you've had a stronger response to this album while it was, while we were listening than I've ever seen you have a response. Then my review might surprise you. Oh, shocking. But we'll get there. All right. So let me give you a little history on the band The Doors. First of all, they're a little American band formed in Los Angeles in 1965. Of course, Jim Morrison, lead singer, he knew Ray Manzarek from UCLA Film School. That's how they met. Jim and Ray, after film school, later met up. And, you know, Jim told Ray he'd been writing some lyrics. He sang Moonlight Drive to him. And they decided to form a band. And that's actually one thing that the movie The Doors got right. Which, there's very few, but that's one thing they got right. Oh, there's half of it. (laughs) Yeah, and of course the band was originally named Rick and the Ravens for a little while, but they soon changed their name to The Doors. And The Doors are made up of Jim Morrison on lead vocals, Ray Manzarek on keyboards, Robbie Krieger on guitar, and John Densmore on drums. Now Jim Morrison, he actually came up with the band name The Doors, and he basically took it from an Aldous Huxley book called The Doors of Perception. And The Doors sound is very unique. If you're a Doors fan know what i mean and if you hate the doors or dislike the doors you know what i mean we're glad to have both sides listening to this episode. yeah and I, <laughs> and I can understand both sides but yeah. you know they definitely have rock and roll they have a lot of jazz blues they're psychedelic even grandma can love this it's got organ music yeah there's a lot of organ music <laughs> yeah. you know and you've got morrison's baritone and dark eroticism and mm-hmm. his pseudo poetic lyrics and oh giving grandma the vapors yeah exactly so (laughs) they were initially a house band for the la club the london fog and then they later became the house band for the whiskey a go-go there in la Uh on the sunset strip they were signed by electra records in august of 1966 now their debut self-titled album was released in 1967 and actually reached number two on the charts it went four times platinum and had their most successful single they ever had which was light my fire Strange Days, their second album, actually reached number three. Waiting for the Sun that we're doing today actually reached number one. It's their only album to reach number one. Soft Parade, their fourth album, reached number six. And a lot of that is because the door sound was different on that. It was softer. It had a lot of strings and brass. But it did become a cult hit after a while. Morrison Hotel hit number four and L.A. Woman hit number nine. All their albums reach platinum, but L.A. Woman is actually three times platinum. They released six studio albums all in all with Morrison. Two studio albums after his death with Robbie and Ray taking, you know, all the vocal responsibilities. They did release one poetry album called An American Prayer. This was after Jim Morrison's death. It did reach platinum status in 1978. It was basically made up of Jim Morrison poetry readings with The Doors putting music over it later. And this was after his alleged death. Yeah, there you go. He, he might still be alive. He'd be pretty damn old if he is. But And that's quite the, um, the gag, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. Well, the band's released multiple live albums, a ton of compilation albums, greatest hits, box sets, 40th, 50th anniversary editions. Uh, the Doors thing, the one thing that I really liked growing up, they were releasing new things, and it was great to hear. But to me, as a huge Doors fan, they've way overdone it now. They're mm-hmm. milking that cow to death, and <laughs> I guess it is what it is, but it seems a little extreme at this point. Well, I'll tell you, if Jim Morrison were still in charge or at the helm of this band, that cow that had been milked dry would be traded for a handful of magic beans. Could be, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the band only had two songs hit number one, and of course Light My Fire was the first one, and Hello I Love You, which is the song, the lead song off of this album we're mm-hmm. doing today. They had 13 other singles released, and all of them charted in the top 100. 
They are actually the first American band to have eight consecutive gold albums in a row. So they sold over 100 million albums worldwide, which is pretty decent. And I kind of talked about the movie a little bit earlier, but the movie is really what got me into the Doors. But as I have really gotten into the Doors history and realized things, the movie is Oliver Stone's fiction and really paints Jim. You know, unfortunately, in a picture that everybody's picked up today is him being just a complete alcoholic crazy being val kilmer yeah and there was more to it than that in fact anyone close to the door circle did not like the movie did not think it portrayed jim more specifically correctly at all so jim morrison died of heart failure in paris in 1971 july of 1971 and i really think you know jim morrison's death i mean it certainly martyred the band in a way and it enhanced the band's popularity we've talked about it on previous episodes is sometimes it's weird as you don't realize why some bands were so huge and they're not anymore and why some are in this case i think with jim morrison's death and some of the curious surroundings and the craziness to him and stuff really enhanced the band's legacy the mystery of deaths in paris yeah and of course the doors were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 1993 Mm -hmm. so do you want to get to the album review yeah and now it's time for the album review Okay, so The Doors, third studio album, Waiting for the Sun, was released on July 3rd of 1968. It was released by Elektra Records and recorded at Sunset Sound Studios in Hollywood. Of course, produced by Paul Rothschild, the sound engineer Bruce Botnick. And of course, Paul Rothschild produced all of their albums, with the exception of L.A. Woman, which Bruce Botnick produced. This is The Doors' first and only number one album. Stayed at number one for four weeks. So Waiting for the Sun has sold nearly 8 million copies worldwide. It's the third best-selling Doors album after their first two. So really, you had the first one being the best-selling album by far, the second Mm -hmm. one following closely behind, and this one Mm -hmm. in third place. It was originally not liked by the critics at all, even though it was a commercial success. You know, that's the funny is this is... So this album, Waiting for the Sun and Soft Parade, was the one that was panned poorly by the critics the most. But it's kind of funny when this one was the only one to hit number one. So all songs are credited to the whole band, like on the previous two albums, although Jim Morrison did write the bulk of the lyrics. But they actually continued that through their first three albums until the soft parade, and there were songs Jim didn't really want people to think he sang, and so they started crediting him separately. There's been several different releases of this, including the 40th and 50th anniversary editions. The 40th is kind of a mess, but it's worth hearing just to... If you're a Doors fan, the cover's kind of interesting. It's pretty simple, like most of the Doors albums. It features the band standing in a field of weeds, and you got the sun in the back. It's either coming up or going down. I'm not sure which direction they're they're facing. Doors of perception. Well, I think it's waiting for the sun. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's coming up. So they're waiting for the sun. They're either waiting for it to come up or waiting for it to go down. (laughs) I'm not sure which one. I I don't know because um, I I had I filmed a, a shot trying to catch a, a sunrise and I actually went and grabbed a sunset and then put it into a, a, a movie I once made as a sunrise. As long as it works. It, it did. It worked great. And of course, during this album is when Jim Morrison's drinking became a real issue. I mean, he always had the problem <laughs> with it, but I think this is when it became an issue in the studio. Yeah. And I think famously like five to one, which he's had a lot of problems with that song. He was very drunk when he recorded that song. Supposedly. Seems like it. Yeah. So do you want to get to side one? Let's spin it. Side one. Okay. So side one opens up with probably the most familiar song off this album. Hello, I love you. Now, this was a very early door song. It was actually recorded when the band was still called Rick and the Ravens. It was written and recorded in 1965. It's one of the original six songs they actually recorded with Rick and the Ravens. And you can find that on the original Doors box set. It's kind of interesting. It's a whole different mm-hmm. whole different feel than what this is on this album. Yeah. Now, this one was released as a single with Love Street, which is the second song. It was the B-side. The single is certified gold with over 1 million copies sold. It hit number one in the U.S. and Canada, and it hit number 15 in the U.K. Spent two weeks at number one in the U.S. So what's kind of interesting about this song is the Kinks actually sued them for this song, saying it sounded like all day and all of the night. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I kind of hear the similarities, but... How I wrote how I wrote this down is that it seems similar 
to it in the way that Ice Ice Baby seems like under pressure. Ice Ice Baby is yeah, a much more blatant ripoff. Yeah, that's I mean, a straight ripoff. This yeah, is a... Because that's, that's like one note difference. This... It sounds similar, like they could be cousins. Yeah, but you've you know how many hundreds of songs could be cousins, as you say. Yeah, exactly, you know, that's what's right? kind of crazy about it. So, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about "Hello, I Love You"? Um, I love the keyboard and drums opening. It's a very excellent straight way to start off the album. Excellent album album opener. That being said, this is a song that is so played over and over again, and. It, uh, uh, you can get tired of it. There can be some, some, what, radio fatigue, we call it. Yeah, you just get tired of hearing that. So, uh, it's not a bad song, but it's also overplayed. <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? I agree with you it being overplayed, but even since I was a young Doors fan, this has not been in my top Doors songs. I would probably categorize this in the lower percentage of my Doors songs. I just, it's okay, but. If you were to put a bunch of songs forward to sound like The Doors, this one isn't it. Keyboard intro is decent. It's kind of interesting because the song opens with the chorus. It's got some good imagery in the lyrics. You know, her arms are wicked and her legs are long. I mean, Jim Morrison does a good job of describing things, but but it almost seems like it would have went with a more mysticizing feel of a song and not mm-hmm. such an upbeat type of thing. I like the ending of it the best when Jim's kind of screaming a little bit. It just needs more guitar. It's it's not my favorite song, and even if I really did enjoy it, I think you hit it on the head, ear burn on this thing big time. Mm-hmm. So that moves us on to the second song, Love Street. Now, of course, lyrics on this one were written by Jim Morrison, but it's credited to the whole band. This was written about his girlfriend, Pamela Corson, and the Laurel Canyon Street that they lived on. It has that little section in it about the Laurel Canyon Country Store, which is kind of interesting. Uh, when I visited L.A. last time, we went and mm-hmm. visited... Jim Morrison's house or seen his house from the street, I should say, and went to that little country store. It's kind of an interesting little place. Not much has changed, but I mean, Laurel Canyon was huge during the 60s for movie stars, TV stars, and especially musicians. So kind Mm -hmm. of a special place there. Let's see. Is that Sharon Tate's place? No, that was on Cielo Drive. I'm so lost. Yeah, you're lost, (laughs) but close. Same region. It's in the Hollywood Hills. (laughs) And of course, like I said before, Love Street is the B-side to Hello, I Love You. What are your thoughts on Love Street? Good pairing with Hello, I Love You. Um, As far as a single single goes, that's a good uh, match, I think. They don't sound alike, but they pair well together. In the words of the late, great Mr. Jim Morrison, and I have no idea if he actually said anything like this, but it just seems like something he would say, this pairs nicely like a beautiful red wine with a juicy red steak and so that being said i i don't want to call it album filler but it's kind of album filler when it comes to this although as a single or a a b-side of a single i thought it was a good choice this song has that signature doors drumming which is like a marching beat that's very common with and i like that because you can it's a signature you know You, you know what you're getting when you're listening to a doors song and it's kind of weird to say that because I'm going to like be throwing some curves at me <laughs> later on in this album. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, I'd have to disagree with you on this one being album filler. This has always been one of my favorite songs. And, and maybe that's because it's a little bit different than, than the door stuff. It's got some interesting finger picking on the electric guitar in it. Bass in it's decent. You know, and, and the one note I did make was good drumming and it has that marching beat. Because that, like you said, that is a signature of The Doors. It's got great piano from Ray. It's got a little piano solo, which I like. And that's not something you're used to seeing in rock and roll music. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, of course, Jim's crooning voice. And I just like the way it paints the picture. And I think where I've always liked the song, and then I visited the place where he wrote it about, I think that makes it special to me. I've always enjoyed this song and considered it one of my favorites on this album. So that moves to the next song, Not to Touch the Earth. Now, this song, Not to Touch the Earth, was originally part of the seven-piece epic song, Celebration of the Lizard. And I don't know if you'd even call it a song. It has pieces of songs and poetry and things like that. And they actually recorded it in the studio, but they never did release it. It didn't make this album. I think it was a little too avant-garde for, for the time. <laughs> 
they just released this portion of it. Now, if you've heard of any of their in concert or any of their live albums and things, they did play this live, and it is kind of interesting. It's kind of an interesting piece to hear, and I guess they did play it live quite a bit. And the lyrics on this were obviously written by Jim Morrison again. I mean, just the strange lyrics, and it's kind of an interesting song. This is the one where you get the famous "I am the Lizard King, I can mm-hmm. do anything." This is where the Lizard King moniker come from. What are your thoughts on "Not to Touch the Earth"? Oh, this is a very crazy psychedelic mix of a song there's something really interesting that goes on with the drums in this song the drum beat is just a little bit faster than a heartbeat and a little factoid that i learned a while ago is that a lot of times like when you get a song stuck in your head an earworm that's actually you know a way that your brain helps keep time and regulate your heartbeat to keep it steady and regular so when you listen to a song that's a little bit fast going like this then it it makes you feel like your anxiety is growing or that you're uh, gradually going insane because the beat just it's a little bit fast it has a really cool effect on you to pay attention to it but it's kind of eerie this was quite the outro with the drums and the organ and then uh, the vocals by Mr. Jim Morrison that I am the Lizard King, I can do anything. Was he wearing a crown when he said that? He should have been. What do you think about Not to Touch the Earth? You know, this is a song I really enjoyed as a Young Doors fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some of the specialness has worn off as I've <laughs> so far, or as I've grown up, I should say. It's got a good, simple guitar intro with kind of a haunting keyboard to it. It's a very haunting song, the yeah. way the way it goes along. It's got nice little guitar runs, especially in the section where Jim's singing, Run With Me, Run With Me. I, I really like the guitar runs there. The drumming's good. The bass is good in it. It does have that marching beat, once again, in it that just keeps going. And I really like... Robbie's tone on his little small guitar solos. It I don't know what it is. I searched for that, and it, it's a, a pretty tone, really clean. And the end's kind of strange because it just ends on a really strange organ note, almost like it's out of tune, too. You yeah. Know, just kind of a crazy, churchy organ note. It's kind of crazy, but not yeah. a bad song. But I, I think it's almost better in the context of Celebration of the Lizard, if you were to hear that. Probably so, because this one stands out on the album. Yeah, it's different. There's no doubt about it. This is the sore thumb. So now we come to the next song, Summer's Almost Gone. Now, if talk about not to touch the earth, this song is a polar opposite of that. Mm -hmm. This is another one of those early Rick and the Raven songs, one of the six they recorded in 1965. And the 1965 version's quite a bit different than this as well. Uh, Lyrics, once again, by Jim Morrison. This is a song about he's lamenting the ending of the summer season. And it's going into the winter season, which we kind of get into with the next song. A lot of people say this is Jim Morrison's ode to one of his earliest influences, who were the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. I don't really see that in this, other than the fact that he's singing about summer. Yeah, this is not a a Beach Boys song. No, I've read that quite a few times, and Mm -hmm. the only thing I can think of is the Beach Boys saying about summer things. Yeah. As far as that, that's where the similarities end. Yeah, the Beach Boys songs are mostly about summer or the early summer. This song is about the other end of it. It's uh, possibly an ode, but it's nothing at all like a Beach Boys song. So what are your thoughts about Summer's Almost Gone? It's got a really nice piano that plays heavily throughout the song. I think I, I like the idea of it being kind of an homage to Brian Wilson. It's an homage that is in no way in the style of the Beach Boys. This would be... Jim Morrison saying I love you to Brian Wilson using Jim Morrison's love language and not Brian Wilson's love language, if, that's, if that makes any sense at all. It does. Really like the the line in it, when summer is gone, where will we be? Because that's kind of the whole theme of this is what happens after all the, you know, the beach bum days of summer are over and we got to put the boards away for the winter. And yeah, what what do we become after that? I don't know. I mean, he was living in L.A. I can't imagine the winter's going to be that harsh. Yeah, it's not going to be that harsh. Come on, Jim. But I like this one. It was not at all a Beach Boys song. Very much a Doors song. Good Doors song. I liked it. What did you think? Yeah, I really enjoy this song, too. It's got a nice guitar and keyboard intro. It's Jim doing his crooning, singing mm-hmm. again. I, I really... I do like the lyrics, like you said, too. Morning found us calmly un- unaware. Noon burned gold into our hair. The imagery, that's one thing Jim Morrison does better than 
a lot of people mm-hmm. is putting imagery into the lyrics. Robbie plays some uh, slide guitar on this. is kind of reminiscent of Moonlight Drive, which was off their second studio album, Strange Days. John Densmore, the one thing that strikes me about his drumming is that he's an underrated drummer. And I think I've said that in other Doors episodes as well, but the Doors do not lead themselves to being guitar heavy. They don't lead themselves to being bass heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly keyboard forward. Keyboard and drums, and that's the other thing, yeah. Yeah, but the drums aren't heavy. They're just... They they keep that steady beat. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting deal with the Doors because they don't have the same type of rhythm section that other bands have. You know, mm-hmm. you pretty much have the drums and the organ or piano, whereas other bands really have heavy bass mm-hmm. to, you know, to lead that rhythm section. So it's kind of interesting. But yeah. John Densmore is, if you really sit back and listen, is an amazing drummer. He really is. So Summer's Almost Gone leads into the next song, Wintertime Love. And Wintertime Love is actually the shortest song on the album. It barely clicks in, I think, like 10 seconds under two minutes. It's a pretty short song. <laughs> and it's another song with lyrics from Morrison. This is almost to me kind of like a continuation of his crooning and a continuation on the previous song uh the song explores love and companionship during the cold winter season you know you want to find someone you want to have that desire for companionship and find someone and the warmth they can bring during the cold winter months in la when it's all the way down to 65 you know how to make a fire don't you (laughs) you rub two sticks together so what do you think of Wintertime Love? Oh, this song sounds like a windy snowstorm at times. It's short and sweet. I I think this is a really nice song. Hey, you got to keep warm somehow. And that's what this is about, is how do you keep warm in the wintertime? Well, go get yourself a funny little honey and snuggle up. That's um, Jim Morrison's solution. And, uh, you know, I dig it. What do you think about Wintertime Love? kind of feel like this is a continuation like i said before summer was almost gone but this one's kind of disappointing to me in a little little ways it's almost corny as being put on the album right after summer's almost gone yeah it, it is uh, especially when the predecessor to summertime's almost gone was the uh, lizard king homage yeah. yeah so i mean the drumming in this song i think is the best thing mm-hmm. about this song it's kind of like got like a Baroque style keyboard going in the background that's kind of weird to me. And I don't really like it. The bass is decent in it. it the song certainly needs more guitar. And it's another song that I, when I was in my teens, I would have told you it's amazing. I would have rated every Doors song 10 out of 10 because I was just that huge Doors fan. But Oh, you would rate it 20 out of 10. <laughs> most likely. But as time <laughs> goes by, I, I realistically look at them and think, and part of that's wearing on me of all the times I've heard it, but I think I find it just more corny than anything that it falls after summer's almost gone. So that moves us on to the last song on side one, The Unknown Soldier. Now, The Unknown Soldier was actually the first single released off this album. It only reached number 39 in the U.S. charts, and a lot of that is due to the fact that because of the violent theme of the song, many radio stations wouldn't play it. I find that hypocritical. Well, but you put yourself in the times, and there was a lot of songs going on like that. But I think that really hindered its success. You've got Carrie Magnus plays the bass guitar in the studio on this song. And many people believe this is Jim Morrison's reply to what was going on with the Vietnam War. And, you know, he and the band had visited Arlington National Cemetery and seen the graves for the unknown soldier. And that's kind of where this come from. And they actually released a promotional video for this song, uh, probably hoping to get it on MTV, even though MTV hadn't been invented yet. But it has a military style drum beat, rifle fire, and you've got Jim Densmore hitting his drumstick on the edge of the drum to mimic that fire. And it's kind of interesting if you watch Mm -hmm. Jim Morrison live in concert and live at the Hollywood Bowl is a good example. When they do that, hit that drum, Jim immediately falls to the ground like he's been shot. Oh, wow. And then when he comes back on singing, he's He's singing from the ground. It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's a really good sound effect. I mean, it sounds like a gunshot. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on The Unknown Soldier? Some of my thoughts, uh, I love this song. Say it's kind of hypocritical for the radio stations not to play it because I bet for certain that those same ra- uh, radio stations had no problem playing military recruitment commercials or uh, ads to buy war bonds at the time. Yeah, probably not. And so I think, well... That gives us a, a strong 
closed to the side one, but it's also a very strong message. I really like this uh, this message because, yeah, you go to Arlington Cemetery, you see the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and the message here is that here's somebody that gave the ultimate price, that gave his own life to uh, his country in war, and we don't even know who it, his name. We don't even know who it was. That's uh, that's that's really sad, and yet it happens um there's not just a single unknown soldier there's several soldiers whose remains we have buried in a tomb and they're all kind of mixed together we don't know who they are it's shameful really about what a waste war is this was one of my favorite songs i thought it was an excellent strong close to side one it also just kind of stark contrast to the rest of the the, the side and the songs on it. Maybe it has more to do with the Lizard King, but <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I, I like the song as uh, as it stands out. I'm glad that this was a uh, single. And I'm uh, ashamed that it only reached 39 because I thought this would go higher. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think the song should have went higher than that. It, it's a good song. It's another one that I've heard so many times. You know, but sitting here with the purpose of reviewing it really brings me back to love of this song. There's a lot of imagery again in the lyrics, in Jim's lyrics. You know, the bullet strikes the helmet's head. Is that the violence? that they're speaking about that the radios won't play. I don't know. I mean, you, you kind of said it, you know, with the hypocrisy that you get Mm -hmm. from that. But to me, the bass in this song stands out the most. It's got that marching drum style again with the Jim Morrison chant leading the march. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting at the end when he's singing, the war is over, the war is over. You know, this is 1968 and the war isn't over, of course. No. So I think John Lennon, John Lennon might've stole that from him. Who knows? You want to get to side two? Yeah, um, I, I do. Last parting thought is that uh, war is over. It is, I guess, the war is over for the unknown soldier. Yeah, who's dead. Yeah, I guess if he's speaking from that way, yeah, it is yeah. over. It's sad, isn't it? That's a real sad message. That doesn't doesn't that mean any war is over before it's even begun? As soon as you're dead, I guess so. Or maybe <laughs> as soon as you go. I mean, who knows? Could be. Let's flip it. Side two. Okay, so side two opens up with Spanish Caravan. Now, this is a song written by Robbie Krieger, and it really shows his talents mm-hmm. on not only the guitar, but his flamenco guitar, which is where he started. It's how he learned and his finger-picking style, and he's just absolutely amazing. It's got some really good electric guitar through a fuzz box that I really love when that kicks in. And he borrowed <clears throat> borrowed this from a <laughs> classical piece called Leyenda by Isaac Albanez. Hopefully I've got that right. Sounds right. Uh, The lyrics explore travel, longing, and the allure of Spain. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. obviously in the the title. Now you've got Doug Lubon playing electric bass guitar on this, and he's played bass for a lot of famous musicians, Ted Nugent, Billy Squire, a ton of others. But then you've also got Leroy Vinegar playing acoustic bass and he's also played with several famous artists so what are your thoughts on spanish caravan oh beautiful song beautiful song uh this song everything about it makes me want to uh become sancho panza and jump on my burro and follow you as uh, don quixote riding your um magnificent rosanante as you tilt against the windmill that that was at a left field there. this is the most spanish sounding song i can i've ever heard <laughs> but it's heavy too it which is, is kind of strange you know and it's got that acoustic spanish uh, guitar opening and it, it just keeps going throughout it so i think that robbie Krieger, why he's good this doesn't sound at all like doors but it's a Doors song still. It's a beautiful Doors song. And this is the song where I looked over and I'm like, yeah, it's a heavy song. And it's like real a real jammer. You're sitting there dancing to this song, listening to it. I'm like, you know, I have never seen Justin go off like this, you know, jamming out. Even to the Beatles, I don't see you rocking out like this. This was fun. That was a good song. What? Do, what? <laughs> now I want to hear what your thoughts are on it. No, I love Spanish Caravan. I've always loved mm-hmm. it. To, to begin with the flamenco guitar that starts up, and then you, you get Jim singing his deep crooning voice again. That's the one part that is doors to a T, without mm-hmm. a doubt. But then that heavy fuzz guitar kicks in, and I absolutely love that sound. This song should have been a lot longer, should have had a lot more music to it, could have been a jam song. Just a really excellent song. I love the keyboard mixed in with it. And then it's got 
the other thing about this song is it's got another big organ keyboard note at the end, just kind of like we heard earlier on mm-hmm. Not to Touch the Earth that ends it. And this is just a pretty song. Yeah, I like Jim's singing in this. I like the lyrics in it, and I love the guitar in this. If one thing I could say about the Doors that I wish is I wish we got more guitar from them. Mm-hmm. I, I like the keyboard. I mean, you've got to like the keyboard if you like the Doors because yeah. they're very keyboard heavy, obviously, mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of people hate about them. And I I get it. If you don't like it, then it's not your sound. But when you hear the Doors go in with some of their heavy guitar and you hear it a lot more in their live sets, it's, it's just really special to me. Yeah, I want to definitely hear more Robbie Krieger after this song. Yeah, he's an amazing guitar player. So that brings us to the next song, Chant, My Wild Love. It's a very minimalistic song. Uh, they use a rattle, some sort of small drum, and a lot of hand clapping. Yeah, I'm curious about that rattle. Did it have, like, tambourine cymbals on it, or or was there tambourine in there? I, I don't know, but that's kind of what it sounds it's like. It's got ringing bit. like a bell. Yeah, yeah and it, this song's about a wild love who mm-hmm. rides through a desert, a farm, a sea. On a tra- horse with no name? Kind of like that, traveling. And there's a lot of lyrics about the earth and land, which is once again, you know, straight out of Jim Morrison's, mm-hmm. his playbook. What are your thoughts on My Wild Love? Oh, this this song is so earthy and uh, raw and pure, very simplistic. It's a, it's a really nice song that I think it showcases just how great of a song you can make with so much simplicity simple instruments and uh, the chanting the the singing nothing about this song is super flashy but boy it's a good song and i i really enjoyed listening to it for all that it didn't have in it this doesn't sound like doors but it totally sounds like doors it's missing the organ the organ's a very complicated instrument so it didn't make the cut you have to be very simplistic. What did you think about uh, My Wild Love? Kind of like Hello, I Love You. I probably put this in my bottom tier of door songs. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, and maybe that's because it is minimalistic. I've just never taken it too seriously. The one thing is, is as much as the movie The Doors, like I stated before, is so unfair to the telling of the band's history and, and straight fiction for the most part. This is one part I remember You've got Val Kilmer and the other band members, and they're singing this in the desert, and that's when Jim wanders off in a LSD haze and finds an Indian, and then next thing you know, he's singing the end in in uh, the Whiskey A Go-Go. It's kind of strange, but I remember that from the movie. I've heard this song more times than I can count, and I have never really taken it seriously as a song, and maybe that's just because there's not much put into it. I, I can totally see that. Yeah. <laughs> So that moves us to the next song, We Could Be So Good Together. Lyrics, once again, by Jim Morrison. Now, I had written on here that it's kind of a hippie song, Mm -hmm. but it's got that Jim Morrison twist because you've got We Could Be So Good Together. Sounds like a love song, right? But then he throws in Tell You Lies, I Tell You Wicked Lies, you know, so Mm -hmm. we can be good together, but I'm going to lie to you. Is the togetherness to Jim Morrison just a lie? Is this about his relationship? Is this something bigger? Who knows? What, What are your thoughts on We Could Be So Good Together? I think it sounds like the theme song for the Charles Manson <laughs> commune. Uh, the song, it sounds a little tricky. Like the way that the uh, the music plays out, like the the beat that it has, there's something about it. That's, it sounds like it's smirking at you. It sounds like it's uh, got a secret, something that it's holding back and not uh, telling you. So there is a little trick uh, or trickiness to this. And uh, the togetherness is just lies. Maybe this is uh, Jim Morrison's way of criticizing the hippie movement, the free love movement. It's like, uh, you know, we can't all just live together like with this free love and, and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll all the time. But maybe, I don't know, is is that a a message that Jim's (laughs) wanting to send? Because it seems the antithesis of his uh, message or his uh, way of living. So I don't know. This is this song's interesting. It's uh, there's a darkness to it, and I'm not sure what that darkness is, but uh, I like I, I enjoyed it. It's not a skipper. What do you think about this one? You know, I always thought Jim was kind of counter counterculture, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. This got a good keyboard intro. It's really the Doors' attempt at a lovey dovey 
poppy song. It really is. But then you got Jim Morrison, because, I mean, that's the music. But then you got Jim Morrison's lyrics in it, and he has mm-hmm. to throw that twist in there, you know? Yeah, yeah we could be good together, but I'm going to tell you lies, you yeah. know? <laughs> I'll tell you about the world that will invent a wanton world without lament. Mm-hmm. I mean, there he goes again with the imagery to the lyrics, you know? Yeah. So you're right. He's This is not straightforward. Mm-hmm. I love you. We should be together, you know? It's, I love you. We should be together, but mm-hmm. I'm going to probably treat you poorly, yeah. and I don't really want to be together yet i do so who knows i yeah we could be so good together but we're not really gonna be yeah maybe that's his <laughs> self-destructiveness we could be so good together but i know i'm gonna ruin that and that could be what it is as far as the song it's got really good bass in it and i think the thing that stands out really well in it is Robbie's guitar solo. i think it's an amazing solo in this and if people mm-hmm. haven't really heard it they really need to listen to it because it Robbie, I've always thought, is one of the best guitar players ever. Mm -hmm. But he is kind of going back to, say, My Wild Love, using that word again, minimalistic. Robbie Mm -hmm. is very minimalistic on things, Mm -hmm. but when he plays, man, he He can embellish. He can flourish it out, yeah. Yes, he can. So it moves on the next song, Yes, the River Knows. Now, this is another song I think at first glance you would think these are some strange lyrics written by Jim Morrison. The majority of the lyrics were written by Robbie Krieger. Surprising. And... I think maybe you get get that a little bit because Robbie was probably trying to compete with Jim a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics are about drowning in wine. Some people think this song's about suicide. I, I really don't know. What are your thoughts on Yes, the River Knows? Robbie Krieger, he must have heard a, a Doors song before because it, it very much sounds like the Doors. And I could see a, a competition with Jim Morrison. I don't see Jim Morrison doing like an ideation of suicide that this song seems to be and uh maybe maybe i'm looking at it wrong but it you know there's lyrics in there like breathe underwater until the end that seems pretty straightforward (laughs) so you know uh, to drown in wine i think they are literally talking about drowning uh in this song and um yeah, yes, the river knows. I'm trying to, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around my first listening to this song. It's got a nice, sweet, smooth rhythm to it, but it's, um, it's got this darkness to it. It's pretty in your face dark, whereas Jim Morrison's writing seems to be a little bit more just subtle and under the surface dark. It's a good song. I want to listen to it some more to, to really wrap my mind around it. What are your thoughts on this one? As far as musically, yeah, it's kind of a slow song. It's got a slower piano intro to it, which is mm-hmm. kind of pretty. Yeah. I, I like piano throughout this song. I've always thought as far as the lyrics, after knowing Robbie Krieger wrote most of the lyrics, my thought was what I said before. I always thought it was his competition with Jim trying to sing something crazy and mm-hmm. about death or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. The it ba- certainly fits. To put it under that. It certainly fits to put it in that perspective. I think the bass in the song is subtle, but the bass is really good when you can hear it. It's got a nice little guitar solo in it with piano. I think overall it's it's kind of album filler to me. It's not, I don't put them in the bottom of my door songs, but I certainly don't put it in the top. It's an all right song. So that moves us on to the last song on the album, Five to One. Now Five to One's longest song on the album, about four and a half minutes long. Lyrics once again by Jim Morrison. And there's a lot of, I wouldn't say controversy, but nobody truly knows what 5 to one's about. But some of the lyrics are pretty straightforward. 5 to 1 could be referencing, a lot of people think, the ratio of whites to black. People in the United States at the time, non-pot smokers to pot smokers. The amount of Vietnamese soldiers to American soldiers in Vietnam. A number of things. I don't think it's any of that. But, you know, some of the lyrics in it are obviously in opposition to the Vietnam War. Yet when they interviewed Jim Morrison about it, he said they weren't. So it's kind of possibly calling a rebellion against those in power, which I think that seems more likely. And that (laughs) seems more like something Jim Morrison would sing. They got the guns, but we got the numbers. Mm -hmm. That's something he sings in it. And that's kind of what what it seems like to me. Five to One is the song that they famously were playing in Miami at the Dinner Key Auditorium when Jim Morrison supposedly showed his penis to the crowd. And at the time, that wasn't looked upon as, you know, as fondly as it is nowadays. And tisk, tisk. He ruined supper for a lot of people that night. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is once he went to trial in Miami, 
they canceled all kinds of concerts. One of them being here in our state of Utah. There was an article I, I read about it in the in the Salt Lake Tribune, which was kind of interesting. And it really put them on a downward spiral after this. And it's really what gives Jim Morrison the bad look and the crazy man that can't be contained. And it really affected them going forward. And so what are your thoughts on five to one? Oh, poor Jim Morrison. I mean, all men are fascinated by showing the room their junk, but no one actually wants to see a male sex organ. That's my thought about the incident. My thought about the song, boy, he's got some really, this, this song can't be unpacked in one listening. This is once again, this is Jim Morrison's serious philosopher. When he talks about like dropping a dollar for a handful of dimes, like five dimes, so five to one, I mean, and dimes are so much smaller than a dollar. And uh, yet, you know, when he talks about rising up, I mean, shoot, you have one parent has five kids. Those kids can overthrow the parent, man. They can stick it to the man. You've got five employees working under one manager. Um, you've got five soldiers under one sergeant. Frack them. Or something like that. I don't know what he's saying. I need to <laughs> I need to listen to this over and over again. Yeah, it's the first time you've heard it. It is. Um, a, a lot of these songs are, are my first uh, hearing, unless they're popular like radio play songs. But boy, that's something where I come to to see that listening to this album, I am so out of my depth when it comes to Jim Morrison and un- unpacking what he's packing into these songs. So I completely acknowledge that and this song is another one that once again makes me want to listen to it again so i can get some more out of it i don't think i can contribute anything more on this song what do you think about it i've always enjoyed five to one i really like how it has a drum intro and then it goes into what i believe is a fuzz bass could be guitar but it sounds kind of like a fuzz bass but it's got a really cool sound to it i really like jim's strained vocals in this song because you don't have any jim morrison crooning in this song it's him straining almost screaming in this song which kind of depicts what he's singing about you know and the and the problems they're going through he sings about no one gets out alive which has actually become a title for a book and a documentary it's got an absolutely amazing guitar solo by Robbie in this, the best on the album, and kind of a long one in the middle of the song, but then he does some little runs after that towards the end of the song. The guitar in this is absolutely amazing. I I like this song through and through. It's a good song, and I think it's even more powerful live because it's more raw sounding, and it's just a good song. I've always enjoyed it. If one thing it suffers is, you know, this is on all the Doors, Greatest Hits albums. It's on a lot of their live albums. I have heard this song a lot. So that would be one thing that for me. But it's been a while since I've heard it. And so it was really powerful to hear it again. So do you want to get to winners and losers? I think it's time. Winners and losers. Okay, Tyler, like always, you're going first. Why don't you give me your two or three least favorite songs on this album? I'm going to... I got two least favorites here. One of my least favorites is the very number one song on it, Hello, I Love You. The reason why it's my least favorite is because you can't love someone without knowing them. No more than you can petition the Lord in prayer. Petition the Lord with prayer. Petition... The Lord with prayer. That's going to be in the next album, by the way. You cannot petition the Lord with prayer. Uh, so that one's number one least favorite. Although the next one is uh, Not to Touch the Earth. That song gave me the heebie-jeebies listening to it. And it's because it's got that fast drum beat that makes you slowly feel like you're going insane. It's a masterpiece of a song, sure. I did not have a fun time listening to it. <laughs> Despite the fact that, hey, that's where you get the Lizard King from. And I'm glad to finally know that. I had no idea why they called him the Lizard King until I heard that song. So now that makes sense. So once once again, I am not qualified to give proper criticism to Mr. Jim Morrison, whether he's late or not. He, He might still be alive. Who knows? If so. Well, if anyone knows how we rate these albums, most of the time these are albums I've listened to for years, and this is something we don't say as often as we did in the early episodes, but they're albums you haven't really heard much. Yeah. Or you've heard the hits. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're getting those two perspectives here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking on this one, you probably heard Hello, I Love You, and if I'm not mistaken, every other song was new to you. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I might have heard. Oh, I I can't even think of another one that I might have heard. So yeah, what are your least favorites? <laughs> um, I'm with you on "Hello, I Love You." Mm-hmm. I've never liked that door song. I mean, it's okay, and I listen to it, and that's fine. You know, I don't get mad and get up and skip it. It's not an obla di obla da to mm-hmm. me, but it is a lower door song. It doesn't sound like the doors to me. It's kind of their attempt at hitting the number one, and it worked. <laughs> yeah. So I can't criticize them for that. Another one's My Wild Love, but I don't want to consider that one just because it's kind of a throwaway. But Hello, I Love You, My Wild Love, and Wintertime Love. Okay. I Maybe it's just songs with love in them. Yeah. Because all three of those songs have love, but those are my three least favorite songs on the album. What are your two or three most favorite songs on this album? Uh, This is where it gets much more exciting because I've got a couple of favorites, and one of them is My Wild Love. And the reason I like that song so much is because it showcases a great song with simplistic instruments and singing and chanting. It's just, I really like the fact that it, they made a song so simple, so pure, and so enjoyable for me. So respect to that. And maybe that's a low-hanging fruit for me. Uh, maybe I'm not as deep as I want to be. I don't think that's low-hanging fruit. I think that's crazy, but you do what you want. Yeah, it's my world, man. Uh, the next one is The Unknown Soldier. That song, it just I it had such a strong message to it. I totally get why they wouldn't play it on the radio, because then you'd have... Even more people burning their draft cards and, you know, running to Canada because it really shows that war is such a horrible way to waste your life and to throw it away just to be forgotten by the people that you're throwing it away for. It's tragic. So tragic. And so I really like the message and the way that Jim Morrison put it all together. Not to mention that that uh, gunshot with the drum. Oh, man. Who, who invented that? I mean, were they just dinking around in the studio one day and happened to hit the side of the drum? And he's like, you know what that sounds like? Sounds like a gunshot. We should put that in a song. It was awesome. What are your favorites? So you just have two, right? I, I just have the two. Um, I could, let's see, I could do a couple honorable mentions. Um, five to one, I want to listen to some more. The other one I really liked is Spanish Caravan. But um, So I, I, if I'm going to do three, I'm going to do Spanish Caravan. Okay, so my favorites, my number one favorite song on this album is Spanish Caravan, mm. without a doubt. I think I went through it all. I like the lyrics in it. I like the finger-picking flamenco guitar into mm. the heavy fuzz guitar. It's a heavy song. It should have been longer if I have any complaint. Mm-hmm. I wish it would have had a little jam in it. Uh, my other favorite songs, I'm going to do four total. Love wow. Street, I think I told you from the very beginning, mm-hmm. I've always loved that song. It has a special place for me. Uh, summer's Almost Gone. As much as I don't like wintertime love, I like Summer's Almost Gone. It, it mm-hmm. kind of gives me that feeling because when I think back to my childhood and listening to The Doors when I was a young teenager, it was during the summer, you know, going mm-hmm. camping and listening to The Doors playing loud with the pickup truck door open or something like yeah. that. That's that's always been one of my favorites as well. It, you know, there's something about that song that really captures like the end of summer when like the sun has been cooking the earth all for months and it's just about done cooking and so like the the earth has just absorbed all that heat and the leaves are about to turn colors you can tell that the mornings are starting to get a little cool and so you know that the summer's the end of summer's coming and then what happens it, it, they capture that in music I they, love do, that. they do capture it well and it it harkens back to another time for me as well. So do you want to get to the album rating? All right, let's rate it. Album rating. Okay. If this is your first time uh, listening, we I'm going to explain our rating system here. We do a zero to 10. Zero being it was absolute garbage and we're going to burn the album. Uh, 10 being this is an absolute masterpiece. This is the best music I've ever heard. I'm going to go out and buy the album. If it's smack dab in the middle, you know, could take it, could leave it. We're going to give it a five. Anything less is unfavorable. Anything more, it's favorable. So I think that explains our rating system. Okay, so on a scale of one to ten, or sorry, zero to ten, because I I can't give this one a zero. So that was kind of a a, a misnomer. I'm giving this one an eight. And let me tell you, I gave this one an eight right after we listened to it. I dipped down while we were reviewing it. I'm like, oh man, I think I'm rating this thing too high. And I was going to drop it to a seven. And I'm glad that I held my pen back because I bumped it back up to an eight by the time we were done discussing it because there's so much in this album 
that boy, I just really like it. And so that's where I'm at. Where do you rate this album, Justin? This one's really tough. Yeah. Uh, you said it best when you said I would give the doors 20 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Going back to my early years, once again, like I've said many a times, when I was the huge Doors fan, which I still love the Doors, don't get me wrong, I would have rated every song and every album 20 out of 10. That really would have <laughs> been, everyone was for a different mood. Really, as time has gone by, this is most likely my least favorite Doors album. Oh, wow. It, it's hard to say because each one has a different feeling, but this is probably my least favorite. So this one you only give 15. <laughs> yeah, so I only give 15. <laughs> With songs that I don't like on it, like Hello, I Love You, Wintertime Love, I've never been a huge fan of The Unknown Soldier. It's a good Mm -hmm. song, but I don't really like it. My Wild Love is a throwaway. Yes, The River Knows is a throwaway. It's got some other good songs on it, some really good songs, very, Mm -hmm. very strong. But the highest I can give this album now, being realistic with myself, is a seven and a half. That's amazing. Amazing. The fact that you're giving the doors, I'm giving it higher, a higher rating, than half me. a point higher than you. Yeah, and that's kind of strange for me because the doors have four albums. Mm-hmm. This is no surprise that I rate ten out of ten. So, and I'm not going to tell you which ones. We've already rated a couple of them, so mm-hmm. it is what it is. But <laughs> four albums, I rate ten out of ten, and half of this album, I rate ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. It's just the problem is the other half, those four songs, I probably only rate two out of ten, and I just... Sure drags it down, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it drags it down for me. And part of my rating is comparing this with the other Doors albums as time's gone by. There was a certain point in my childhood when this was my favorite album, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange. And maybe that's because there's so much of a mix of strangeness and, and things on it, but seven and a half is where I'm at now. All right. You know, it's, it's kind of weird for me to sit here and rate it higher than you because as far as the doors go i'm not a big uh, jim morrison's voice fan i'm not a big fan of his voice don't necessarily like the organ but i'll tell you i've really opened my my eyes and my uh, and my mind to the doors just being your friend and i'm giving them a chance and boy they're growing on me and now that i'm seeing how deep these uh songs go and the philosophy behind it there's a lot for me to unpack and i i'm not i'm i'm scratching the surface and realizing okay there's gold in them thar hills i need to dig well and i think it only gets better from here i think so so that does it for classic vinyl podcast this week once again we really appreciate you giving us a listen we know there's a lot of music podcasts out there especially that you could be listening to so we appreciate you listening to us Send us any suggestions, comments, complaints, whatever you want. The yeah. Classic Vinyl Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, Justin and Tyler will say goodbye. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music loving friends. Thank you.